Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I to this guy for wisdom. Well, I, I, I barely made it in my seat today uh, to do the show on time, and I know it's the same is true for Captain. One, one day we'll reveal his identity. I mean, he's one of the busiest, busiest men on the planet. And also, Captain, how many shows do you produce right now? How many 13, is 13 organic, and uh, we, we distribute 25. 13 shows. So, I mean, you know, you will not find a harder working individual uh, than the captain here who produces this show. But, you know, it, you know, things happen, right, in, in our days. And, you know, my, my wife had a treadmill delivered today to the house. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just tell you this about the property. You know, uh, it's basically built on the side of a mountain, it, you know, it seems. And everyone hates our driveway because it's like walking up, you know, straight up into the air. And so, of course, uh, you know, I don't blame my wife. She wants to turn this little, it's not really a pool house, but there's a, there's a, there is a uh, building down there by the pool. And she wanted this treadmill down there in that particular space, which is fine to have this workout room. And I said, fine. Now, they were supposed to come uh, after we started this show. So, so the captain and I said, okay, let's, let's do this show. And we do this show live, by the way. I mean, when you hear it, you know, we, we, we just basically, we finish it. He sends it over to me. We get it put out there. But we don't do any editing or anything like that. Everything you're hearing is live like you would on the radio. Um, but anyway, this was supposed to be delivered, you know, between 2 and 3 uh, Pacific time for me today, Captain. And I was actually excited. because My wife was not because she was going to have to deal with this on her own when, when the people got here. But, of course, they show up at 1 o'clock. And so I, I didn't get to uh, evade my, my duties as a husband. I had to actually deal with it. And so, you know, I, I showed them the way, and they were huffing and puffing. They were very upset with me. They did not like me very much for where I had to, to, to guide them to put this treadmill. But anyway, it's in the past, and we're here behind the show, uh, behind the microphone doing the show for you today. Um, so, you know, sometimes, you know, you all, I should say, need me to explain and break down the left, right? I mean, that, that's my, my singular purpose in life, right? Explaining the left, making it uh, uh, clear and understandable to you. And oftentimes, you know, the left doesn't understand what they're talking about, and they can't even explain themselves. So you can't even get your information from there. But sometimes, as I'm going to demonstrate here with the uh, J6 committee's uh, verdict here, their recommendation for a criminal referral, to the Justice Department, sometimes you can just read what the left says and they'll tell you exactly what they are up to. So I can't claim uh, much intellectual credit here for this one. Uh, it is exactly what I've been predicting uh, since they started this phony J6 committee, this witch hunt. that was so partisan, you know, nine people who hated Trump and wanted to lock him up because they're horrible people and they hate the country and they hate you and me. But uh, Ben Jacobs over at Vox, uh, he wrote an article, and he and the headline is "What the January 6th Committee's Criminal Referral Means for Trump." Now, I'm going to read some pull quotes to you, and it's clear as day. It's clear as day what they're doing. All right, I mean, they do not want Trump to run. Uh, since 2016, they've been trying to get rid of him. They tried to unseat a duly elected president 
with a Trump-Russia collusion hoax. And this is just an extension of this. Now, remember, keep this in mind with the left and their tactics and what they're doing with Trump. There's, there's not one exclusive thing they're trying to do. You know, it, it's, it's, it's has multiple um, uh, spear points spearheads, if you will, right? It's not just one thing. Yes, they want to prevent Trump from running for re-election. They want to get rid of uh, a Republic, a popular Republican candidate for, from 2024, which is, you know, what dictators do. This is what Maduro does in Venezuela, for example. And that's what the left is doing with Trump. Uh, but there are other reasons they're doing this too. Uh, one would be to distract, right? You have to remember, uh, 2022 was not the uh, Grand Slam that the Democrats want to portray the midterms as for themselves. It was not. And they're going to be in a lot of trouble in 2024. And frankly, I got to be honest with you. I do not believe, look, this fluctuates day to day and things are going to change between now and 2024. But the left is not confident they can beat Trump. They're just not. I'm telling you that right now. If they were confident, they would leave Trump alone. They wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't be trying to uh, sully him and dirty him so badly and so thoroughly ahead of 2024. Now, here's some poll quotes. So Donald Trump's January 6th committee criminal referral to the DOJ isn't binding, but he's going to go on to explain why it's still significant. Now, this is important. Do you remember with Trump-Russia collusion? Actually, let's move beyond Trump-Russia collusion for a second. With quid pro quo, remember that was the first impeachment. Now, the left understands, and I'm sorry to, I'm not really sorry, but I'm sorry if I'm offending any Democrats listening out there, but your party, the Democrats, the left, the media that you consume day in and day out, they think you are stupid. And you guys prove it time and time again. They think nothing of you. They think you're dumb and gullible, and you are. I mean, think about it. You're still going to these same people the left is gobbling up this January 6th committee criminal referral, just like you gobbled up Trump-Russia collusion, which was a fabricated, a, a pure hoax invented by the Clinton campaign and the DNC to hide what they were up to, colluding to take the nomination away from Bernie Sanders and ensure that Hillary Clinton was the Democrat nominee in 2016. Uh, and then they, they used that to go after Trump. Um, and, and when they, when they announce impeachment, right, impeachment does not mean guilt, but Democrats and your low information voter out there here impeachment, Trump was impeached. Oh, look, they got Trump. He's guilty. No, that's not what an impeachment is. That's not what an impeachment is. An impeachment is simply articles that are delivered. And then you have a case in the Senate. So the house delivers the impeachment. They say, okay, we're impeaching Donald Trump. We're going to try him in the Senate is essentially what it comes down to. And then the Senate hears the case and makes a determination whether or not he's guilty or innocent. And Trump was found innocent on both impeachment scenarios, both quid pro quo and what they're continuing to do with him inciting an insurrection. He was already impeached over this and the Senate found him not guilty, but they didn't give up. They had to go for round two. They had to try and replay this whole movie again in front of the American people with this phony witch hunt. So my point is, much of the reason this January 6th committee was formed and much of the reason they're making this criminal referral to the Justice Department, which, by the way, just means that they're basically here's here's what happened. 
You know, this whole thing, and I've explained this on many episodes in the past, the January 6th committee was working in tandem with the Department of Justice. The January 6th committee's purpose was to try and build a case and hand that over to the DOJ with their evidence and everything else so the DOJ could then hopefully try Donald Trump for these invented crimes. And that's what they were doing all along. I said, look, nobody watched any of these J6, uh, you know, shenanigans. They weren't heavily viewed by the American people. And in fact, in many cases, poll after poll throughout this whole process demonstrated that the American people were simply not interested in it, weren't paying attention to it at all. They were still watching football, still watching anything but these J6 hearings. That's how interesting they were to the American people. They never caught on. And so those J6 hearings, what I explained in the past was that those hearings were not performances for the American people. They were performances for the Justice Department. That's who their audience was. Their real audience was the Justice Department. They were putting on the hearings to try and stoke the imaginations of the lawyers, of Merrick Garland, of these people to try and hand them, just like the dossier. Hey, look, we put together this phony dossier to go after Trump. Here you go, FBI. Do what you want with it. That's what these J6 hearings were. Hey, look at all these hours of hearings. Look at all this fake evidence that we have uh, uh, put together. Here you go, DOJ. Now it's time to do your part. So that's what's going on here. Now, this is a recommendation. So this doesn't mean that Trump is guilty. This is the, this is the, the January 6th committee handing their, their new Trump dossier, Russia collusion dossier, if you will, to the DOJ. That's what this is. More fabrication, more falsification, more BS. So the House January 6th committee voted on Monday to recommend that the Justice Department pursue criminal charges against former President Donald Trump over his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. And, you know, there's other people being submitted to this, too. Trump is obviously the main target, but there are others in this as well. Um, But, you know, Jack Smith is the career prosecutor assigned to this. Uh, who's going to be the new special counsel for the federal government's investigations of Trump. So do you understand that this is never ending? We went from Trump-Russia collusion to quid pro quo to insurrection. And now we've got the J6 committee who, despite Trump being exonerated by the Senate, now they want to push this into the 2024 election. This is tantamount to election interference yet again. The Democrats are trying to sully Donald Trump. And Democrats out there who are as brain dead as Fetterman and Joe Biden himself, they're out there celebrating this. Look, we finally got Trump. Look, he, the, the, the J6 committee has made a criminal referral. That means that Donald Trump is a criminal. He's guilty. No, it does not. But your low information voter does not care. Meanwhile, these same people are ignoring, have no interest whatsoever in real crimes committed by the current president of the United States and his son, Hunter Biden, that doesn't impact, affect them, move them at all. They don't care about the recent revelations that the FBI used taxpayer funds to pay Twitter to convince Twitter to work with Twitter to plant the seed of this Russia, you know, hack and leak, hack and dump operation, which didn't happen. I mean, do you understand? We'll get to this in a little bit, but but this is the FBI move mountains. This wasn't casual what they did with Twitter. 
I mean, this was like an op you would engage in in some foreign country to exact regime regime change. That's what that, that amounts to. But we'll get to that later. So, what do these criminal referrals do? Ben Jacobs asks and then responds. Well, a criminal referral is just a recommendation from the committee to the Justice Department that it should prosecute individuals who the committee believes have committed crimes. I mean, is this not astounding to you, this new justice system in America? You know, you are guilty until proven innocent. And in the case of Trump, he's guilty forever. He's proven innocent time and time again, but they still maintain that he's guilty. So, look, I, I, I believe, and I can tell you right now, that this is not going to result in 40 years of jail time for Donald Trump. This, this is so flimsy. There's nothing to this. This is going to be used to try and sully him, to claim that he's some kind of criminal, to prevent him and convince independent voters out there and everything else not to vote for him in 2024. And they're going to use this simultaneously to distract from the House, which is going to be dominated, controlled by Republicans very soon. It's going to give the media something to sink their teeth into so that they don't have to report on what's going on with all the criminality that's hopefully going to be exposed about Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. That's what this is ultimately intended to do. So Ben Jacobs is very careful, careful here. To not give Democrats out there, his audience, the expectation that Joe that, that, that Donald Trump is going to be put in prison for this. He's very careful because he knows that's not going to happen. They can wish for it. They can dream about it all day long, but it's not going to happen. So he says, you know, uh, this is not binding and has no legal effect. The committee has no authority to punish anyone. Here we go. Here's where he admits what they're up to. However, it could have a real effect on public perception. Bingo. That's what this has always been about. Public perception. The committee's hearing was nationally televised, and it's not every day a congressional committee recommends that someone face criminal prosecution in the full spotlight of the national media. Now, this is unprecedented. This has never happened in America's history before. And the Democrats are giddy about this. Remember how excited they were when they, when, when they impeached Donald Trump a second time? They made history. The first president of the United States to impeach twice for something he didn't do. That's right. The Democrats are making history. They are the most evil, insipid, regressive, un-American party uh, to have ever existed in America. But of course, they've always been that way. They've never changed. They've never changed. So these referrals, he writes, will add public pressure to the DOJ to act and increase scrutiny of its decisions. So they're trying to create a pressure cooker where Merrick Garland feels compelled to deliver the goods as well. Um, let me skip this part. So what happens next? Well, you know, here, here's, here's one of my favorites. There's a pull quote here from Adam Schiff, right? Shifty Schiff, pencil neck Schiff. We believe, as we indicated in our criminal referral of Donald J. Trump, that there was evidence that he violated multiple criminal laws. Where have we heard this before? I mean, this, this is the guy who I've said before, got up there about the fake quid pro quo that didn't happen and pretended to be some kind of Shakespearean era actor, the greatest of his time. He thought he was Lawrence Olivier standing before the house and 
you know, and you know, he didn't read the transcript of actually the phone call. He made it up. Oh, this was a shakedown of Donald Trump. He's like a mob boss. You won't believe, you know, what happened here. And, you know, the media ran with that. And of course, Donald Trump brilliantly released the transcript and it showed that he was full of crap. He was full of crap. But this guy, I mean, think about it. This guy, Adam Schiff, and these same people who have lied time and time again, who promised. Remember, Adam Schiff was one of the many Democrats, but perhaps the most prominent, who went on CNN and MSNBC and NBC and every drive-by media program that would have him on to promise the American people that he had the smoking gun. That it was just a matter of time until he could prove he had seen the evidence, right? That's what he kept saying. Oh, I, I've seen the evidence. Now, I can't share that with you. I can't tell you what, but you know, I am confident that we have the goods to indict Trump, to get him out of office, to complete this coup attempt. And he has egg in his face. But here's the same guy now promising Democrats, hey, there's evidence that he violated multiple laws. So here we go. Here's the kicker, right? So all the information collected by the committee is chronicled in its report and in the multitude of depositions will be made publicly available and thus accessible to the Justice Department Department's investigation. The committee and the DOJ have been working along parallel lines, and it's likely that at least some information collected by the committee will buttress the DOJ's ongoing. There you go. Did I not just tell you exactly that thing? Have I not told you that in the past? This was a parallel operation, collusion between the DOJ and this phony J6 committee, this hatchet job, to give the DOJ some kind of case, trying to do the work for the DOJ. So he goes on. Then there's the 2024 impact. Republicans have long written off the January 6th committee as a partisan exercise. You think? You think? But criminal referrals could have an impact as they represent a congressional committee explicitly stating that Trump committed crimes. Bingo. There you go. It's all about the public consumption of this. Democrats don't care. They're too stupid to understand. And frankly, they're too amoral to care. They're just satisfied that this J6 committee is telling the DOJ that they believe there's a criminal case here and that's enough for them. Just hearsay. They can make it up, pull it out of their AWS, you know what. And that's all they need to run with for the next two years. While Republican primary voters are unlikely to reject the former president explicitly over his conduct, it's likely to increase the growing level of fatigue that many Republican primaries have, primary voters have with Trump. Now, you know, he's on to something here, and I hate to say it. You know, I've I've written about this in uh, my new book that is in the hands of an editor right now. I'll obviously keep you abreast of when that published publication date will be. And I've talked to me. I encounter this all the time. Look, we understand there to be something something called Trump derangement syndrome on the left. Correct. These people just hate Trump so much they will stop at nothing to destroy him. They will lie about him. They will go after his family purely because they hate him. That's it. But on the right, we have something I have called for a long time Trump fatigue syndrome. And I dare say he's correct here. So it's likely to increase the growing level of fatigue that many Republican primary voters have with Trump. You see, 
Republicans on our side, those who are so quick to <clears throat> abandon Trump, to step on him, to kick him when he's down, they don't understand that the problem is not Donald Trump. It's us. It's Republicans. No Republican candidate for president in 2024 is going to be treated in a nicer, kinder way because his name is not Donald Trump. If it's DeSantis, they will call him Little Hitler. If it's DeSantis, they will dig up and concoct some other hoax. We've already seen how they've treated him somewhat. And I've got to say, look, everyone should be doing their due diligence. Again, I am not endorsing a candidate for president right now in 2024. We need to have a robust primary system. But I do support Trump, generally speaking. And it really bothers me how defensive people on our side get about Donald Trump. I mean, I want to I play a game here with the audience for a second, Captain. I want you, listening right now, to think of five things that Donald Trump has done that were racist, that were homophobic, that were xenophobic. Tell me, think, think of some five specific examples in which Donald Trump was a horrible person, an evil person, a Hitlerian figure. You know, did Donald Trump discriminate against the unvaccinated? Did he wish the unvaccinated a severe winter of death and disease? Did he call the unvaccinated unpatriotic? Does he repeatedly lie about his history? Does he lie about his family? Did he go on the campaign trail and during a debate accuse the Hunter Biden laptop accusations of being Russian disinformation? Did Donald Trump, did his daughter, did she write in her diary that Donald Trump had showered inappropriately with her when she was a young girl? No, that would be Hunter Biden. Did Donald Trump, did Donald Trump pimp out his son, either of them, Eric or Don Jr., to enrich his family? Did he sell out America to the communist Chinese and the Russians? No. Did Donald Trump concoct a hoax? Did he put together a fake dossier that made wild accusations that weren't true about his political opponents and then feed them to the media and the FBI? No, he did not. He did not. That's what Joe Biden's done. And was the country better off under Donald Trump? Or was it better off under Joe Biden? Was your 401k better? Was the border more secure? Was the economy doing better? So go ahead again and name for me five specific things that Trump did that were so egregious. They will prevent you from voting for him. You can't do it. And I'll tell you why. Because they're all based in generalities. Generalities that do not have any evidence. You know, it's like, it's like Trump-Russia collusion. Now, I have a very intelligent audience. So maybe this is a rhetorical question for you. Democrats can't answer this. I can tell you for sure. The media couldn't even explain it. What was Trump-Russia collusion? What was Trump guilty of? He colluded with the Kremlin. Did, did, he, did he 
change votes? Well, no, but he colluded. How did he collude? Do you understand where I'm getting at? No one could explain Trump-Russia collusion, but it sounded bad. This is what the Democrats have done to Donald Trump. They just simply say, day in and day out, he's racist, he's xenophobic, and they beat you down and they make you ashamed. They put you on the defense because, ooh, if you, if you defend Donald Trump, you get attacked. You get called a racist. You get called a bigot. Those attacks aren't going to stop. And you don't see the Democrats acting defensively like this about Joe Biden, about Adam Schiff, about Hillary Clinton, about any of their people. They circle the wagons and defend their own while we sit here and try and stab ours in the back. And I got to say, look, I'm not saying you can't criticize Donald Trump. We're not like that. We're conservatives. We're principled. If he goes outside of what we want, what we believe in, he's going to get criticized. And that's fine. And that's fine. But what bothers me is that there seems to be zero appreciation for what Donald Trump has done for the country and what he endured, endured. You know, the Clintons, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, all of those Democrats enriched themselves after they left office. They did not sacrifice for this country. They used those positions to become multi, multi millionaires to get book deals and Netflix deals and everything else. They came out richer than they were before. In fact, they would not have become wealthy were it not for their positions in government. And what did Donald Trump do? Did he come into office and enrich himself and his family? No. No, he put a target on his back in the back of his children, of his family. And... I just think that, uh, at least for me, I won't forget that. My memory's not so short. And I can at least appreciate what he endured. Because tell me another Republican who was on that stage vying for the nomination, who could have sustained, who could have stood tall, who could have withstood the constant attacks. They would have folded like cheap lawn chairs, and you know it, and I know it. So anyway, this is the problem, you know, and I, this is what I keep saying, you know, that there is no uh, Messiah out there, no Messianic figure that's going to save us. You know, we've got to do that job. And a lot of that is being advocates and changing the way we talk to people, the way we view our beliefs and our politicians, whether it's Trump or anybody else. Because I want to tell you something. Human beings are human beings. They are wired to go the path of the least resistance. You know, most people are not Donald Trump. Most people are not many of you. Most people are not me willing to get the death threats, willing to get attacked, willing to put your face out there in the public and understand that you're going to be viciously attacked. Things are going to be said about you. Every word is going to be put under a lens, taken out of context and used against you. They'll dox you, put your location out there, organize, pay people to try and destroy you, go after your, your um, advertisers, cancel you. <clears throat> and so Americans see what happens to people that do this type of thing, and they don't want any part of it. And so they're ashamed, and they're quiet, and they're bashful. And even if they would vote for Trump, they don't want to tell any of, anybody about it. If they get in a room and other people are bashing Trump, you think they're going to stand up? and say, actually, you're wrong. Are they going to correct the people in the room? They're not going to do it. And that's what we have to change. 
Because independents out there looking around and they don't want to be attacked. They don't want to be attacked. And right now, you know, the way the media works, they are working very, very hard to convince the American people that, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the greater of two evils. In fact, the Republican Party is the fascist party, is this party and that party. And they're doing it intentionally. So anyway, so anyway, at the end of the day, <clears throat> they're going to be uh, using this investigation to distract and give them something to talk about so that they don't have to address the real corruption that will hopefully be uncovered about the Democrats. That's what this is about. So, Captain, go ahead and queue up cut one for me. This is Kareem Jean-Pierre. Now, we have a uh, border crisis right now, and um, no one can deny it. No one can deny it. And in fact, there was a poll done not long ago, and a majority of Americans, including Democrats, believe that uh, it's somewhat true or mostly true, I believe, was the poll. I'll find it in a minute here that the border situation is actually an invasion. So, Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre, so if you if you believe that the we have an open border in America, this is what Corinne Jean-Pierre uh, says. Go ahead and play cut one. Go. And there's estimates of 50,000 migrants in Mexico waiting to cross at Title 42 M's. Is that accurate? And would that overwhelm the border patrol? So look, I, I don't don't have a, a, a number for you at this time. What I can say is that we know smugglers uh, will try to spread misinformation to take advantage of these vulnerable uh, migrants. But I want to be very clear here. Uh, the fact is that the removal of Title 42 does not mean the border is open. Uh, anyone who suggests otherwise is simply doing the work of these smugglers who, again, are spreading misinformation and which are which is very dangerous. So there is the propagandist in chief. And, I, and look, I mean this seriously. She would make Goebbels proud. She could be an acolyte of, uh, of Goebbels, the propagandist in Nazi Germany. Notice she look, I, 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 I'm not trying to be mean here, but this woman um, she, her, I'm sure she uses pronouns. <clears throat> this, uh, pronoun spokesperson, spokes pronoun. She is not equipped. She's not smart enough. She's not qualified enough to bust tables at a diner. That's the reality. This is a person of very, very limited intellect. And of course, you don't need much intellect to be a propagandist, do you? <clears throat> she won't answer questions. She dismisses things. And now she says, if you, if you um, discuss what's going on at the border, if you repeat the truth that the Border Patrol has been warning of for a long time, that lifting uh, Title 42 is going to result in an even greater influx of illegal immigrants into this country. Well, you're doing the bidding of a smuggler. That's right. So today I am Smuggler Drew, doing the work of the smugglers out there, telling you that um, we have an open border under the Biden administration. <clears throat> and it's just shocking. It's just shocking to me that, I mean, it gets worse and worse. I mean, they have been lying to us for a very, very long time. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have one other story here, and I think I'll just get to it right now before I explain what's going on with Title 42. But um, 
you know, in the second quarter, you know, during this midterm election year, uh, Joe Biden and the White House said that the economy created more than 1.1 million jobs in the second quarter. 1.1 million jobs. Do you know what the problem with that statement was? Well, it turns out that uh, the Philadelphia Fed has looked at the same data and shows that 10,500 jobs were created. Joe Biden said that he created a million more jobs than he did. The Philadelphia Fed looked at its data and showed that 10,500 net jobs were created in the second quarter. But Joe Biden went to the American people and the White House put out the same propaganda saying that they created 1,047,000 jobs. Do you understand how grave this is? How big of a lie this is? I mean, he's off by a million jobs. And where did Joe Biden get this information? The BLS, which is a division of the Department of Labor. There is no bureaucracy. There is no element of the federal government that remains that is, has not been sullied, not been corrupted, that is not being bastardized and utilized by these Democrats to lie to the American people, to achieve their agenda, to fix elections, to change elections, change perception. I mean, is, am I wrong, Captain? That seems like a pretty big deal. You tell somebody you created a million jobs when you only created 10,000 jobs? How are you off? By over 900,000 jobs. Oh, well, the BLS, BLS, BLM, BLS, you know. Well, they just conveniently, I guess they got it wrong, right? Here's what, here's what Biden said on July 8th. In the second quarter of this year, we created more jobs than in any quarter under any of my predecessors in the nearly 40 years before the pandemic. And what was going on ahead of the midterms, for example? Well, the economy was, was, was number one for the American people. The economy was devastating the Biden administration, as it should. And so Biden goes out there and he says, look, I created a million jobs. This is the most we've created. I've created more than any of my pre predecessors in the nearly 40 years before the pandemic. And it was pure fiction. Pure he basically created no jobs and he told us he created a million. I don't know how many times I need to say this to get the point across that this is insane. Imagine if Trump had come out and lied and said, oh yeah, I created a million jobs. And then you find out that he lied and he created no jobs. They'd be calling and screaming for his impeachment. I just, I don't know how much more of this we can sustain as a country. When we have an administration that faces no repercussions and no consequences for literally creating an alternate reality that doesn't exist. Unbelievable. The economy created more than 1.1 million jobs in the second quarter. The White House said in a statement on July 22nd. And you know what this was used as too? Because we are in a recession, even though they've lied about it, they've changed the definition. Give me a break. I don't care. I talked to some conservatives too who say, well, we're not. In yes, we are in a recession. We've been in a recession. We're going to continue to be in a recession. Absolutely, we are. And so here we go. In recessions, the economy tends to lose jobs. So the Democrats and Joe Biden needed this talking point, needed this lie 
to make their case that we weren't in a recession because during a recession, you don't generally add jobs. Well, we didn't add jobs, 10,500 jobs. And this guy went out there and lied through his teeth. I mean, I got, I got to say something about this. You know, there is something particularly evil about pathological liars. Uh, people who have no morality whatsoever, who can look you in the eye and just lie to your face. These are people with sociopathic tendencies who do not care who they hurt. They have no remorse, nor do they have any desire to change and improve. And that's what you're seeing with the Democratic Party. They are the party of sociopaths who will lie, fabricate, invent. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine going after anyone like they've gone after Trump, who hasn't done anything wrong. I mean, that takes a particular kind of evil human being to do that and have no sympathy. No feeling, no emotion, no remorse for what they've done. They just continue to lie through their teeth. For what? For power. It's hard to understand these people, I know. But they've existed throughout mankind's history, and they are drunk on power. They just want power. These people are like the creeps for Balenciaga who get off you know, on, on kitty porn. These guys get off on controlling you and me. That's what gets these people off. The drop in unemployment all around the country is a sign of enormous progress. Well, there was no progress. They just lied about it. A million jobs we created, and they created zero. That is how bad it is. That's how bad it is. So I want to talk about Title 42 for a second. You know, um, this Title 42 position for Joe Biden, I mean, this is one of the most incomprehensible uh, positions, his immigration policy, right? I mean, this is somebody who back in April, May of 2022 tried to get rid of Title 42. And a Louisiana district judge who was a Trump appointee um, said no. He couldn't get rid of it. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the response from Corrine Jean-Pierre in the White House was that, you know, they didn't like this ruling. They disagreed with it because they believed that the CDC should have the power to lift it. Should have the power to lift it. Um, I want to tell you what's really going on here. There, there's two things going on here. Like, So, for example, how do you explain that you know, when Trump instituted Title 42, now Title 42 is just basically uh, a, 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 a little used, um, how do I explain this? It dates back to 1944, and it's basically a health code, essentially, okay? Uh, and, and in certain circumstances where there's death and disease, illness, whatever else, you know, this can be used to, to deter people from coming here. But I have a question. Why do we have to use Title 42? Why do we have to, like, basically find a loophole to do the job to keep illegals out of this country. This is my fundamental problem with this. Why do we have to use Title 42 at all? Why do we have to depend upon Title 42 to turn people away at the border? Why can't we just do that as part of our immigration policy? Our immigration in this country is so broken and has been broken for so long. And the Democrats, of course, have relied upon more and more this new definition of asylum to basically allow anybody into the country. In the name of climate change, you can claim asylum here. Captain, you know what the irony is? You know, back in uh, 1939 into the 40s, you know, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, you had a bunch of Jews that were fleeing the Holocaust who came over on ships. One was called the St. Louis. And they tried to uh, dock in Miami and uh, he turned them away, said those Jews were spies. They were, they were, you know, spies. 
That's right. You know, lots of lots of Jewish spies, you know, I guess those that weren't in concentration camps being uh, uh, systematically murdered. So those so the Jews and by the way, I think a quarter of those that got sent back ended up dying in the Holocaust. So Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the Democrats, their definition for asylum back then, well, that it didn't include Jews fleeing the Holocaust. Can you imagine that? Now, today, their definition of asylum is if you're unhappy, if you have a crappy government, if it's too hot in the summer, if you don't like your country, well, you can just come here and claim asylum. That's how loose it's gotten. And so, you know, Trump implemented um, uh, this uh, Title 42, which gave him gave the border patrol essentially and homeland security i guess if you will the authority to quickly expel illegals from the border send them back to mexico and he had other policies in place to remain in mexico where and they couldn't just come in they had to wait in mexico uh before they could come in for their court hearing and so on and so forth and the the the, the left blew a gasket right this is so amoral. We can't do this. Meanwhile, they were trying to lock us down and tell us we were all going to die if we, 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 we got out there and had a sandwich together at Subway. Uh, but they were saying no problem with the, uh, with the illegals. Let's just let them come. It, it never made sense. But here's the problem. Even Donald Trump's use of Title 42, the authority came from the CDC. The CDC was the one who justified it. The CDC was the one who essentially gave it the green light. If the CDC hadn't said, yay, it couldn't have happened. You couldn't have used Title 42. So the CDC had an inordinate amount of control. All right. So I want to explain this. Biden doesn't care about Title 42. You know, six months ago, he, fought, he, he tried to lift Title 42. And then we had this other judge who was a Clinton appointee in Washington uh, lift Title 42. Shouldn't Joe Biden have said, this is amazing. This is what I wanted. Instead, he begged that judge to push the lifting of it until, you know, it was supposed to be December 23rd or 21st tomorrow, actually, I think it is. And now you've got the Supreme Court who's come in and stated. So Title 42 is going to remain in place for a little longer. But why the heck would Joe Biden try to lift Title 42 himself, right? And then when a judge, a friendly judge, orders the lifting of Title 42, why would he then debate that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because this is about the CDC. This is about preserving the power of unelected bureaucrats. The argument, by the way, let me see if I can find this. So when Joe Biden tried to lift Title 42 and that Louisiana judge, the Trump appointee said, no, you can't do it because we, we can't have this influx of migrants come in here right now. Well, the White House said the administration disagrees with the court's ruling and the Department of Justice has announced that it will appeal the decision. This is what Corrine Jean-Pierre said in a statement. The authority to set public health policy nationally should rest with the Centers for Disease Control, not with a single district court. Remember what she said. Remember what she said. She is arguing that the Centers for Disease Control, because this is what, let me explain this. When Joe Biden tried to lift Title 42 six months ago. He was doing it because the CDC was colluding. They were on board to order that that could happen. They were basically having to say, well, we don't have a health crisis anymore. And this judge intervened and said, no, 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 no. We're keeping Title 42 in place anyway, because what's about to happen is we, we can't handle this in the country. And so she says, well, the CDC should be able to determine that. Now, fast forward. Fast forward. 
So Joe Biden is now upset. He was upset with the lifting of Title 42. At least he feigned it. But it wasn't because he didn't want to get rid of Title 42. He did. It was because the judge, the Clinton appointee, made the same argument. He said the CDC had acted erratically. They had acted beyond their their measures. They didn't have the authority and so on and so forth to do this in the first place. So this judge essentially was arguing that the CDC was acting out of control, that they shouldn't have the authority to do this. Now, this is no friendly judge to us. But my point is, I think this is more of a play about preserving the power of the, the administrative state. It's about preserving the authority for the CDC to have control over these policies. Because once precedent is set here, once precedent is set, it's going to be like the EPA. Remember that ruling from the Supreme Court not too long ago where they ruled in West Virginia versus the EPA that the EPA did not have the authority to pass these broad regulations that were going to put entire industries out of existence? The Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. That needs to be Congress. Congress has to do that. That's how the Constitution works. You can't, you can't run for office, come in here and, and order the CDC, order the, uh, the EPA and these unelected bureaucrats to basically, you know, perform, finish your climate agenda for you. No, no, no. You have to vote for that. And so that was viewed by the left and it was as a broad blow, a huge blow to the left and their increasing usage of the administrative state to pass their agenda unbeknownst to Americans without putting their their faces on legislation, without promoting it to the American people. I mean, the EPA was capping CO2 emissions at coal plants and they were putting coal plants out of admission, out of out of commission. Did any Americans know that this was going on? Very few, very few. But Congress didn't have to do anything. The Democrats didn't have to do it. So they did it in secret. And that's what the CDC stuff's about too. They want to use the CDC. They want to use the EPA. They want to use all these unelected bureaucrats and bureaucracies like the FBI, for example, right? There's another one to do their bidding. And that's what I think is really going on here. But there's a secondary reason. You know, back in the uh, 20th century, right? When you had civil rights legislation, the Democrats had a problem. Uh, they were controlled by a bunch of uh, white supremacists, right? The Southern Democrats opposed civil rights legislation. As a matter of fact, they threatened every time that they would splinter off and create their own new uh, uh, political parties to rival the Democrat Party if any Democrat president or Congress so much as thought about passing civil rights legislation. But here's the problem for the Democrats. They had convinced the majority of blacks to vote for them. So the Democrats had to simultaneously appease the white Southern Democrats who oppose civil rights legislation while simultaneously appeasing or pretending to support civil rights legislation for the black constituency they needed to vote and remain in power. This was the same way with Title, with, with title 42. You had people out there in this country who wanted Title 42 in place, who saw a problem at the border. And then you had a lot of Democrats out there, the radicals who want open borders. They didn't want Title 42. So I, so for a long time, Joe Biden used Title 42 as a cover, right? Look, no one can argue that Title 42 did, Title 42 did much to prevent illegal immigration. We've had over 5 million illegals come into this country since Joe Biden came into office. It's unprecedented. So Title 42 in itself, I mean, it's not really being used. I mean, when there's five million, over 5 million who's coming to this country already, 
I mean, give me a break. Title 42 is not some effective weapon, but when you get rid of it, it does send another signal to, uh, to, to illegals out there that, hey, it's open season. Now, another word about the CDC and the protecting them in this administrative state. One of the things Joe Biden did is he got the CDC, right? So Title 42 was being used to repel anybody uh, from claiming asylum in this country, potentially, including unaccompanied minors. Well, Joe Biden went to the CDC and the CDC agreed to lift it to... To, to make that not apply to unaccompanied minors. So Title 42, but you see who's in control of this? It's the CDC. It's the CDC. And that's what they're doing. Now, with all this going on, right, we opened the show talking about um, this unbelievable J6 committee and the recommended recommendations to the DOJ to you know, put Donald Trump in prison forever. I'm sure you've heard it about the Twitter revelations here, but I, I just want to, I just want to discuss this briefly. What it amounts to is that the FBI colluded with Twitter and other social media companies to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. They paid over $3 million to Twitter for those employees time. I want to go through these notes with you briefly because this is outrageous and the FBI cannot remain in existence. It needs to be dismantled. Twitter was being run by the FBI and the Democratic Party. That's the truth. There were over 150 emails sent back and forth between the FBI and Yoel Roth, who was the former Twitter trust and safety chief, between January 2020 and November 2022. Now, this goes back to Trump-Russia collusion of 2016. This This is how organized, how concerted of an effort this is by the FBI to change election results and, and how it's been weaponized against the American people the promotion of truth and information out there and against uh, uh, Trump and their political opponents. The FBI established a social media task force known as FTIF after the 2016 election. 80 agents were on this task force. 80 agents were being paid by the American taxpayer to monitor and prevent Americans from having their First Amendment right. And uh, the FBI and the DHS would routinely flag content for Twitter to moderate. And where this gets good, where this gets good, is that the FBI knew that this Hunter Biden laptop store was going to be dropped. Now, remember, the FBI knew about this because in December of 2019, a computer store owner in Delaware, he contacted the FBI about a laptop that Hunter Biden had left and not picked up. And he found incriminating evidence on that laptop. So he calls the FBI. The FBI show up, issue a subpoena, and they pick it up on December 9th, 2019. Eight months later, this computer repair shop owner has not heard anything from the FBI. Now, he was concerned because he found criminal activity on here. So he emailed Rudy Giuliani, who was already under FBI surveillance, and Giuliani gets a copy of the hard drive. Giuliani's the one who gave the hard drive to the New York Post. Now, on October 13th, the day before this New York Post article dropped, was released, around 7 p.m., Hunter Biden's lawyer emails the Delaware computer store owner, Mac Isaac. And Hunter and this lawyer, George Masiris, had learned about the New York Post story coming out the next day. 
And that same night, by the way, at 9.22 p.m. Eastern, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan sends 10 documents to Yoel Roth through a one-way communication channel to set up set up between the FBI and Twitter. So the FBI has a secure channel set up in communications between Twitter and the FBI. Now, the FBI began priming Yoel Roth, priming the media for the release of this story, putting it in their minds already that this was Russian disinformation, that it wasn't true. And um, hours later after the story was published, Twitter and other social media companies censored the story. And they did this despite the fact that the FBI would routinely go back with Twitter and say, hey, are you seeing increased levels of Russian activity? And they said, no, it didn't even exist. And so I want you to understand something, too, about this. There were so many former FBI agents on the payroll working at Twitter that they had their own little uh, club their own little conversation chat room set up like a fraternity where every time a former FBI employee came over to work for Twitter, they sent them a welcome. That's how many FBI agents are working there, including Jim Baker. And so what the FBI did is they infiltrated Twitter. Don uh, Burton was Comey's chief of staff. She joined Twitter in 2019 as director of strategy. And my point is, look how highly coordinated this is. And it started in 2016. It started in 2016. They didn't leave anything to chance. And and it gets worse, right? So in September of 2020, the FBI invites Roth and other media people to this Aspen Institute workshop to shape how the media would respond and cover a hack and dump Russia op. The New York Times, NBC, Twitter, they're all there. It was organized by the former CEO of NPR. And this was an 11-day course on how to deal with a laptop leak. They basically, just like remember what they did with Bill Gates and the other people, you know, before the COVID pandemic, they were running simulations of the exact COVID pandemic that later happened. Isn't that odd? Well, this is what they were doing with this. So they did this 11-day course on how to deal with the laptop leak, which had taken place on October 14th. And the FBI interfered in that 2020 election to ensure a specific election outcome. And this is the same FBI which tried to orchestrate a coup attempt to get rid of Donald Trump in 2016. Unbelievable. Go ahead and queue up cut uh, three, Captain. I want you to hear Schiff. So I just told you that the FBI coordinated, infiltrated Twitter, put on uh, entire, uh, put out talking points, prepped the media to deal with this story, gave them the talking points that it was Russian disinformation, gave them training on how to deal with this, to change the election results, to lie to the American people. And here's what Schiff has to say about Twitter. Because, you know, Elon Musk kicked off a few people who were doxing his real-time location of his jet recently. Go ahead and play cut three. Go. I think we've got a big problem right now with social media companies and their failure to moderate content and the explosion of hate on Twitter. Um, the banning of journalists on Twitter. Um, I don't think these companies should enjoy an immunity from liability when they behave this way. Uh, you know, we can't tell them what to say or not say, but we, we gave them immunity. We said, if you'll be responsible moderators of content, uh, we will give you immunity. They haven't been. So why should they continue to enjoy that immunity from, from responsibility and liability? 
I can't, I can't stand this guy. I can't stand this guy. I can't stand to look at his face. I can't stand to listen to his voice. This guy should be in a prison cell with the rest of them. This guy's talking about Twitter can't be trusted to moderate content when he and his party and the FBI had a, had a, had a channel set up with Twitter to give them accounts that they wanted censored and the, the, and Twitter would do the bidding. They had FBI plants working for Twitter to censor free speech. The FBI was working to de- deny American citizens their First Amendment right, that's a violation of the Constitution. And this guy has no problem with that at all. That's fine. Now he's upset because a few morons got kicked off of Twitter for a couple days or, or a couple hours? Give me a break. This guy's a monster. This guy's a reprobate. And listen to the way he's putting out the threat now. Now that Elon Musk has Twitter, well, you know, we were, uh, you know, we, 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 we can't tell you what to do, but, you know, we will take away this provision that protects you, you know, if you don't what? Don't what? Turn Twitter back over to the FBI? Incredible. All right. Um, if you've got uh, adolescent children out there, or I guess young adult children, and they're thinking of applying to Stanford, think again. Think again. Captain, your kids are already out of, out of college, right? Two, yeah. Two, two out of the four are, are, are still in college. All right, Captain. Well, you know, I know Stanford has prestige. Uh, I know it's a cool campus. It's in a great location. I've been there. I had friends that went there. But I got to tell you, man, you send your kids to, to Stanford, you might lose them for good, Captain. You might lose them for good. Uh, Stanford is proposing adding... American to the harmful language list. That's right. Stanford has a running list. They've been working on this for 18 months. 18 months they've been working on this list of of words that are gathered into eight categories. Ableist, ageism, culturally appropriate, gender-based, imprecise language, institutionalized racism. So included on that portion of the list is the phrase balls to the wall. Balls to the wall. So you're not allowed to say balls to the wall. That's that's forbidden at Stanford. Um, Captain, last time I checked, balls to the wall uh, has nothing to do with male genitalia. Does it not refer to maximum effort? Maximum effort. And you know what these uh, these fighter pilots would do? You know the the uh, what what do you what, what do you call it on there? Uh, the the not the joystick. That's what I want to call it because I'm a video game pilot, not a real one. Um, but, you know, as you push, you know, uh, what is it called, Captain? Help me out here. You're talking about the throttle? Your throttle. The engine? Your throttle. The throttle. The throttle. That's right. It used to have a ball. And so these, these people would push. Balls to the wall means throttle full forward, full force, okay? But these guys, you know, they're so stupid. You know, they don't understand it. Go ahead and pull up a, a photo uh photo one captain of of the stanford thing yeah so you you've got a picture there of some of the phrases i actually i actually can't see it right now i didn't put it in front of me but you've got a list of different phrases that the um democrats oh there we go let's see well sorry folks i did i didn't plan well for this one if you're watching i think you can see it uh, but it's, it's, it's these forbidden words that are gender-based. Um, you know what? 
I, I wanted to do this. I'm sorry to backtrack like this, but I think it's important. One of the points I wanted to make. Oh, you've got it. Okay. So, uh, ballsy, preferred pronouns you're not supposed to say because the word preferred suggests that non-binary gender identity is a choice and a preference. Oh, okay. How about that? Uh, you you got to call him a congressperson. You can't say congressman or congresswoman. I've, I've, I'm ahead of the game. I've been saying Congress pronouns for a long time. You can't say freshman. You can't say fireman. You can't say gentlemen. You can't say guys. These guys are lunatics. Keep your kids out of Stanford, folks. Captain, I, I, uh, well, can you queue up real quick for me? Um, uh, cut, cut two. I, I want you to hear what the FBI did. This is very important. Let's end with this. Yoel Roth describes how the FBI came to him before the Hunter Biden laptop story leaked. I want, I want you to see what they did uh, um, in terms of prepping these people uh, to do the job of the Democratic Party. Go ahead and play cut uh, two now. We learn about DC leaks, and we learn about the intersection between APT-28, a unit of Russian military intelligence, a hacking group. And so the morning of the Hunter Biden story in the New York Post happens. And it was weird, right? We didn't know what to believe. We didn't know what was true. There was, there was smoke. And ultimately for me, uh, it didn't reach a place where I was comfortable removing this content from Twitter. But it set off every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leak campaign alarm right, So it looked possibly probably. It, everything about it looked you like a hack not- and leak. So do you understand what happened there? The FBI prepped him on, they gave him some existing, you know, uh, you know, Russian, you know, purveyor of malfeasance or whatever out there. And they, they did basically, they sent him documents on what to look out for, for Russian disinformation. And it just happened to fit what they told him about the Hunter Biden laptop. So they come to him and they say, hey, you know, the Russians are up to no good. We have this feeling that they're going to be out there. There's going to be a story dumped about a Hunter Biden laptop. And if you see this, you know, this is a telltale sign of Russian disinformation. I mean, this is insidious. This is how how dedicated the FBI was to ensuring that that Joe Biden was elected president and suppressing this story. My friends, your federal government, the Democrats, many rhinos, many Republicans, the deep state exists. It's been around for a long time. And this is what we are up against. You and I are their enemy. We are their targets. The Constitution is in the crosshairs, and they will stop at nothing until they own us, until they rule over us, until they reduce us to citizen slaves. But not on our watch, right? Not on our watch. All right, well, uh, Merry Christmas, I guess, right, Captain, to everyone. Happy Kwanzaa, you know, if you celebrate Kwanzaa there. Um, I, uh, I don't know any black person who celebrates Kwanzaa. Uh, it's another communist holiday that's fake to rival that, you know, white Christian holiday that was started by that white fella named Jesus, right? The Middle Eastern guy, he's white apparently. Uh, and apparently Christianity is a, a, a pasty white holiday. Interesting. Tell that to the black people around the world uh, being murdered for their beliefs uh, and elsewhere. All right. Merry Christmas. God bless you all. And until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great 
young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Allen. As Drew Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.